Blog Talk Radio. Uh oh, guess what day it is? Julie. Huh? Julie. Huh? Guess what day it is? Guess what day it is? Guess what day it is? <laughs> Anybody? Anybody? Mike, 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 Mike. Huh? What day is it, Mike? Huh? Woo-hoo! Listen, guess what today is? Listen, guess what today is? It's hump day. Hump day! Woo-hoo! <laughs> it's hump day. Hump day! Woo-hoo! <laughs> Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Donaldson Files. This is Tom Donaldson with guest... Uh, well, my favorite guest co-host... <laughs> Uh, yes. <laughs> yes. 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 Uh, yes. Yeah, Coco. Yes. <laughs> All right. So tonight we're going to have a light show. Uh, we're not going to get Arr. too heavy. Uh, and we got a lot of things, to, you know, a lot of fun things to talk about. But before we do, there's a couple of things. Uh, next week, of course, since I didn't bring this up to you in the planning meeting, I thought I'd tell you right now. Uh, Let's do a ladies' night show next Tuesday. That sounds perfect to me. All right. And what I would like to add, just a normal, you know, Christmas for ladies' night, but also add a few extra, you know, tidbits on health and what women should be looking out for. And now I got a special announcement. It's kind of like uh, bad news, good news. Like the bad news right. is, I was the bad news. I was diagnosed. Yesterday with prostate cancer. The good news is that they've caught it early enough that you know I have a very good prognosis. So uh, I'll probably live to an old age and die of something else. Uh, and I want to kind of yeah. You know, and basically, it's you know like uh, I put it this way: it's kind of a you know you know number one scary. You know, right. Probably my debt. My dad had prostate cancer, and I talked to my brother, and he and he mentioned to me that, uh, you know, that my dad actually had you know prostate cancer when he died at the age of eighty-eight. Now, I know he, I remember he was diagnosed with it, and I remember he went to radiation because they couldn't do the surgery on him because he had some blood, you know, blood had a blood clot. Uh, so. And as my brother said, you know, it wasn't the prostate cancer that killed him. Right. And so, so and in fact, my dad lived a pretty good life, lived to see his great-grandchildren get born, uh, you know, see oh, two wow. of his grandchildren, see two of his grandkids uh, get their PhDs, you know. And so that's, you know, and, and I guess that's, uh, and basically the way they put it to me is, you know, I, I got to say, because here's the thing. Yeah, I and I want to kind of leave this message out. This reason why next week we're going to talk about some of this stuff. You know what? You know we. You know what you should be looking out for. What you need to be putting on your agenda for checking yourself is, you know, since the age of fifty, I have a family physician. I can remember this. He said, "Hey, I see you turned fifty. By the way, uh, I've ordered out a colonoscopy for you." <laughs> And so, yeah, that was, I mean, I I think like everybody, every guy right now should, you know, 
especially if they're in their 50s, you know, start with regular screening. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. It was colonoscopy. Then he's also started to do prostate exam. Every year we do a prostate exam, we do a PSA. And because I, and uh, the other thing I do, I have light skin. And so I always get right. my skin checked every year. And that's like every six months I have a dermatologist basically. Yeah, in fact, he kind of told me once this, you know, about a couple of years ago, I said, you know, you're, the, you're a pretty lucky guy. And I said, what do you mean? He says, with your skin, you should have had skin cancer by now. And I said, well, that's what happens when you put the SP40, the SP100 on you. <laughs> well, I mean, here's the thing. Like, I used to really enjoy going tanning. I yeah. occasionally still do. But, you know, there was a time where um, they were looking at my skin and basically the doctor told me, like, if I keep up with my when I mean tanning, I mean, I would go every day. Um, yeah. If I kept up, like, there would be a really good chance that I would I would have a skin cancer. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, here's the thing, so, because I can say, yeah, I had the dermatologist, you know, when, you know, you know like I said, when you're in high school, you go the, the acne route, and, uh, and, uh, and I would, you know, and and I remember this dermatologist saying to me you know, when I was like 14 or so, and he said, you know, I just want to tell you, if you're a sun worshiper, I'll be seeing you for skin cancer at the age of 30. Right. Uh, here I am, 60, 67. But to go back right. to the okay to, uh, to the diagnosis of prostate is, like I said, I do this every I've done this every year. Okay, last March, you know, my family doctor says, okay, your PSA is going up, but you're still at that, you know, below level, you know, it was, you know, slightly going up, which is what expected, but slow. And, and, you know, I did the old prostate exam and he basically said, yeah, you don't feel like you got cancer, but I'm not comfortable. Go to the urologist. So he sets up with the urologist, right. the urologist looked at me, looked at the PSA, said, well, you know, this is what you expect to see. I said, if you came, you know, you know, you know, I get concerned when I see somebody with a one goes up to like a four or five or just jumps up. Uh, you've been going steady, and this is what men your age do. Uh, you know, he gave me the physical exam. He said, I'm going to see you in six months and, you know, get a PSA. So I got the PSA in October. It's 4.4, uh, mm-hmm. which is above that four level. And so, you know, and again, that PSA is not doesn't necessarily mean – uh, that it doesn't necessarily mean you got cancer. It simply means you ought to be concerned. You know, especially you know, what a urologist will look at is they'll say, you know, if you have a guy who has a one, as I say, spikes up to five, four or five or six or whatever. You know, big spike. In my case, it was a gradual you know, turn up. And then if we took a second. It was a four point one. Then he said, okay. My recommendation: We got two choices, uh, but we already kind of, I already had made the mind. But if I had a second PSA, you know, above four, you know, you know I was going to get the. Uh, and we and my urologist, I put him in stock. But if we had two in a row, you know, the biopsy was going to happen. So right. So I do the bi. Uh, so basically, last Tuesday, I do the biopsy. And I want to take a quick break with Tom Donaldson with Coco Konski here on the Donaldson Files on the Bachelor News Radio Network. <laughs> 
This is Dr. Larry Pitoa, host of the Dr. Larry Show on the Bachelor News Radio Network, inviting you to listen live every Wednesday evening from 7 to 8 p.m. Eastern Time at blogtalkradio.com and the podcast every Monday through Saturday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time at thebachelornews.airtime.pro. I am called the philosopher of current events, an independent, open-minded conservative with my own ideas. If you are interested in advertising or having your own show, email us at labachelor40 at gmail.com. And don't forget, our new website is bachelornewsradionetwork.com, the bachelornewsradionetwork.com. Uh, to get all of our latest shows, you can, you know, you know, you know we, you basically you can go on the network, uh, for example, in the Donaldson Files, and you can go back and look at all the different shows we have done over recently. So, you know, so you know, if you want, if you want to show that you have, if you want to repeat, that's the way you can do it. FasterNewsRadioNetwork.com. Call in today at six four six nine two nine zero one three zero six four six nine two nine zero one three zero. All right. Okay, now I, I, I gotta say, I mean, yeah, you know, in a way, there's, you know, I, I go in to the treatment for the biopsy. First thing that you see, I look over this table, and I'm like, I see a needle as big as a ruler, and I look at right. like a pry as big as a ruler, and I'm thinking to myself, hmm, this looks interesting. And so, and so, okay. And so, and the nurse comes in and I said, is that needle, is that the, the pain medication? Said, yep. That's a pretty big needle. I said, yeah, well, maybe you shouldn't have looked over there. And I said, well, it's too late to unsee that one. And he, and he said, what is this over here? Well, that's, uh, we're going to use that for like a camera and a clipper where they're going to take specimens out. Oh, so that, <laughs> this does oh, not boy. look good. <laughs> I mean, don't, I mean, but here's the thing. It really it's only, it only lasted ten minutes. It only lasted ten minutes, and it really wasn't bad at all. Uh, it wasn't bad at all. I mean, they put they stuck the needle in. You know, I, you know the pain. They gave me the lidocaine shot, and then they went ahead and stuck the thing in the prod, whatever they call it. And basically, what you hear is like twelve clips. He, he's going to take literally twelve specimens from the prostate, and he, there was one area in particular, one area of the quad on the right side. He said, "Yeah." Looks kind of. If there's anything going to be there, it's going to be there. And then he tells me, "Oh, by the way, he's measuring my prostate." He says, "You got the prostate of a twenty-year-old." Well, and I'm like thinking, myself, "Yeah, why am I here?" I'm thinking myself, "Why am I here?" But I said, "Wow, that's really nice." So what you're telling me is I got a young prostate. And he says, "Yeah." He said, "I'm not used to seeing uh, prostates as small. Now, usually, we see these more enlarged prostates." And and if there's cancer, it's going to be a lot easier to find. And I said, well, that's really good. You know, thank you for that a bit of encouraging news. <laughs> so, right. And you, so you hear the clip, you know, clip, 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 clip. You know, every 30 seconds clip, 30 seconds clip, 30 seconds clip. And, uh, but it was, like I said, it really wasn't bad at all. Uh, and so, and basically, when I, you know, when the lighter came wore off, you know, I basically had maybe 20, 30 minutes of paint. Or uncom- I'm going to use the word uncomfortable, and after that, it disappeared. 
And so I really right. didn't feel too bad afterwards. And the only thing he told me, there were three things he told me. He said, you're going to see some blood in the urine for 24 to 48 hours. Anything beyond 48 hours, you better call my ass. Call me up. I said, okay. I had, right. barely, I had, I had one spot of blood in my urine, and, and I had no problems urinating. He said, and I had no problems with uh, blood stool. Now, the tricky part is, he said, now, for the next couple, maybe the next six, eight weeks, you're going to have uh, a bloody semen followed by a semen that's going to turn rusty before it gets back to normal. And I'm like, oh, Ew. that's really attractive. <laughs> Ew. <laughs> yeah. Ew, yeah. So, and so like I say, there, and so that's, I'm at that stage where it's just like, it's not quite turned to the rusty yet. Not exactly, you know. So, uh, which is probably more information everybody wants to know. But here's the lesson on all of this state exam. For sure. Uh, I mean, get a PSA, get, you know, make sure they, you know, do the physical side of the equation, uh, and get an exam every year. If you're 50 and over, you should be doing this every year. If you have a family history, you might even want to start earlier. Because here's the bottom line. I don't feel anything. I wouldn't have known, have no symptoms. I wouldn't have known that something was amiss in my prostate. And isn't that scary? It is. If I mean, you didn't go to the doctor and you, you didn't know because you didn't feel anything that – you know, you could have been just going on with life without even knowing. And then, you know, God forbid, yeah. Yeah. you know, that's scary. That's definitely yeah, scary. It's not scary. I mean, and the thing is, so basically, as I said, you know, it's, I'm kind of like in that borderline. I'm not going to say stage. Maybe I'm probably maybe closer to stage two to stage one. But he said, you know, it was just like it was one specimen out of 12. Now, the first time, you know, when he talked to me in the morning, because he called me up the morning of my appointment, and he said, I wanted to call you up first to be, prepare yourself. And, and I said, okay. Oh, boy. And he said, and he said, well, I said, we took 12 specimens. 11 had nothing. One had, a, I love this line, a speck of cancer. Doesn't sound what, so a bad. A speck of cancer? <laughs> a speck of it's cancer. Like... No, that doesn't sound. <laughs> you know, yeah, that didn't sound so bad. <laughs> and then when we went to the, you know, my you know, wife and I, we went to the, like I say afterwards, because, uh, and my wife has been, you know, with me all along on this, you know, because my brother who's a physician said, you know, make sure you you got somebody with you, when you, you know, once they get to that point where, you know, you know, you might, you know, they're talking about these things, have somebody with you to take down notes, and so, and so I walked in and he had like a slide presentation, ready to go. Oh, and boy. he showed me the results, showed me the whole thing. And, you know, boy, I tell you, it starts to sink in. He gives me all the data and the detail, the different treatments. He said, okay. And, you know, with me, it was an observation. And so we could do the observation, but I was kind of thinking to myself, you know. And, he, and the way he put it to us, he said, like, observation, in particular for babies, you know, men in stage one, is basically, you know, the same results as surgery or radiation. The, the difference is after 10 years, you know, it's more going to be likely to metastasize. It's going to spread more likely, twice as likely. So I thought to myself, well, you know, I, I just soon, and then 
and, and certainly the radiation to me was, you know, I mean, think of this way. You would have to go every day for two months. Right. And I, I'm taking 40 treatments in two months every day. Oh, boy. Thinking, you know, I'm not sure that that's going to fit into my lifestyle. Uh, wow. They have to go every day. Yeah, every day. Uh, and then number, then he said, okay, it's a surgery. And basically he said, the way he goes, he said, look, give me the surgery. I'm, you know, with the cancer you got, you know, 80% will be pretty much guaranteed. You'll never see this again. And, and basically you're looking at a cure rate of, you know, 95% plus. And right. looking at the table, do this. And you're looking at the table and it's like, you know, I'll have an expectancy of like 27, 30, 27 years. I'm saying to myself, okay. Yeah. That, now, understand, when he comes through what you do for the surgery, it's not an innocuous thing. I mean, it's like a three-hour procedure. It's going to be done laparoscopically, right. but I'm going to have to basically get an EKG. Even though I'm, you know, I'm trying healthy, so I'm going to make sure you get an EKG, this, this, and this, before you go in there. And then uh, – uh, and and then he and then he added and, and that is but you know and he said well you know and then it won't happen until February because he said I can't do anything with you because with the biopsy I've essentially put twelve holes in your prostate so that has to heal so it won't be until the okay. end of February first of March that you know which I guess should tell you something about a where the cancer is because obviously. You know, if he's going to say, I'm going to have to wait two months, you know, I'm going to think, well, you know, that doesn't, you know, that at least gives you enough confidence to say, okay. So, so it's, it, so that's where we're at. Yeah, that's where we're at. And so sometime in Feb, in the February, 1st of March, I'll probably get my surgery. It'll be a two month recovery. Yeah, he said you're not right. gonna be able to lift anything for like anything more than fifteen pounds. So it'll be a two months recovery. Uh then and then after that, you know, and there'll be the side effects of the sexual side effects, there'll be some sexual uh some other in you know, side effects, but there are things that uh, you know, that you can work out. Uh you know, it's I won't say it's gonna be easy, but let's say it's you know, it's Let's suppose this way your sex life is going to be different, but not impossible. As I said, you know, I still want to have sex, guy. <laughs> yeah, he said, yeah. So, but that's so that's the story. But like I stated, I mean, and like I said, we'll talk more about this like Tuesday night, you know, to get into the health side of the equation as well. So, yeah, sure. Yeah. So, So that's what, that's the latest news. The good news is, like I say, the bad news, I got prostate cancer. The good news, my prognosis long-term is very good. Uh, my chances of dying of something else are far greater than me dying of the prostate cancer. So, Well, that's Yeah. On the other side of the equation, my daughter in New York is now looking at a snowstorm in New York. Yes. I, it, 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 someone told me about that and it was like, it, it was like, like people have 
haven't been knowing what's like not to go outside and everyone's freaking out. You know, it's not like they can really no. go anywhere. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll tell you the truth. I mean, it's, I mean, my daughter just sent, you know, sent us a video, and it's like, uh, I mean, you can just see it come down already. And uh, it's so bleak. It looks, and it, what she put it to me was the wind is what kills you. He said there's a whole. Oh, for sure. Uh, yeah. So there is, you know, so the wind is, so there's there's evidence. So it's going to be interesting for her because now my daughter is used to this. She grew up in Iowa. As she tells me, she said, you know, it's like 40, 50 degrees and these people got their winter coats on. And my brother called yeah. me up the other day, and he said, what's the temperature? About 19. And he said, oh, that sounds cold. I said, well, well, it's not windy, so I have not put on the official heavy winter coat. Well, you're insane, but that's okay. Yeah. Well, it's what, yeah, yeah. It's, it is insanity in the sense, but, you know, it's, it's maybe it's insanity living here in Iowa in the middle of winter. Well, I guess, but, I guess if you're used to living in cold weather, yeah. But, you know, for me, something that's cold, like, it, it's been getting down to, like, the early 40s, around 6. And in L.A., that is freezing. You know, oh, yeah, we're, we're used to yeah. 70s, 80s. And recently, like, I, I woke up this morning, I took my dog out, and it was, like, 38. So, to me... That was like insanely cold. Like I'm not used to. Um, like, like I said, I'm used to the 80 degree weather, not 30s and 40s. Yeah. Well, 30, 40 for well, LA, that's pretty cold. Yeah. I mean, uh, that is very cold. And yeah. I would find that to be very cold. So. Yeah. So, of course, I have, like, my big parka on and, like, you know, I have, like, my boots. And so I'm just, like, I'm walking the dog and it's just, like, you know, it's so funny because the other day um, I kept hearing this rustling and I'm and I'm thinking to myself, it's, like, it's in, it's in the 70s. Like, I don't know, what is that noise? thought it was, like, my washer for a minute. And then I realized that was the wind um, outside. Like, it's, I, I'm pretty sure, like, you're used to it where it's, like, you hear the wind and, you know, like, oh, okay. You know, that's just the wind. The, the, you know how the wind makes the whistling sound. And I look outside and I'm like, wait a minute, it's sunny. And yet it's like literally a gust of wind just blowing. So, and you're going to laugh at me, Tom, but right now I have my portable heater going in my room right now because I am freezing. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, actually, yeah. I mean, my 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 sister-in-law was like that too. I mean, she lived. She moved to Florida years ago. It was like oh, uh, when it gets the fifties. Yeah. You know, I mean, she went. To, she went from New York to Florida, and it's like when she got to the fifties, it'd be like, you know, let's get out the sweaters. Yeah. Oh yeah. Out uh, like, you know. So I, I actually I had the fireplace going as well. So. And like. um for me, like, if it gets too cold, like, I, I actually, 
and this is a known fact for me. So if I go to sleep, when I go when I go to sleep and I don't have some sort of heat going in my room, I will literally wake up the next morning with a sore throat and start getting sick. I am yeah. super well, yeah, so hold on that thought. This is Tom Donson, Coco Kosky here on the Donson Files and the Bachelor News Radio Network. I never get the flu. My kids don't need more shots. I don't have time. We're all healthy. My asthma's under control. I'm pregnant. I've had the flu. It's not a big deal. My kids are too old the for flu. The media is exaggerated. I can fight it naturally. No matter how you build your excuses, the flu can blow your house down. Keep your foundation strong. Vaccinate. Learn more at flu.gov. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. Go, Caleb! Come on, hit a homer, Jesse! Go, guys! Hey, did you guys know that kids who play sports earn more money when they grow up? Of course. I, I knew that. Hey, did you guys know that kids who read books have a bigger vocabulary? Oh, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Mm-hmm. Wow, Jinx. <laughs> Did you guys know that friendly children have more friends? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. That's true. I knew that. Did you guys know that winter babies are better at music? Everyone knows that. Oh, yeah? yeah. Pretty obvious. Yeah, yeah. so yeah. obvious. Oh, hey, guys, did you know that most people think they're using the right car seat for their kid, but they're not? Huh, I didn't know that. I'm pretty sure I knew that. I'm pretty sure you didn't. Parents who really know it all know for sure that their child is in the right car seat at the right age and size. Visit safercar.gov slash the right seat to make sure your child is protected. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Welcome to Donaldson Files. Tom Donaldson, uh, you attended, what was it, a video, it was a Zoom conference for, I know we talked very briefly about it last week. It was a... I'm trying to say the right word. So it was the Omni Film Festival um, conference, and it was a film festival. It was also as well as kind of a seminar of people leading in the industry. Um, and so the premise of was it, it's usually every year they hold, they hold it, they hold it here in Los Angeles. And, um, since the pandemic happened, you know, they decided to do kind of an online avatar type Sims world version. And I thought it was fantastic. Um, I think it's a great idea, um, pandemic or not, to have these type of events that, you know, you get to build your own avatar, you um, are exploring, and it it was like a video game. It was like you were inside a virtual video game. So it was a virtual conference, but nobody knew what you looked like. You know, you create your own little avatar, and then people would, you could talk to the computer, like actually talk, like you say hello, like I'm saying right now. And the person who was either in your, like, next to you could actually hear you, and that's how you communicated. Hmm. Okay, let me ask you a question. Why the Avatar? What, what was the strategy, or why, why did they do that? 
Well, I think it was because of the pandemic, but they still wanted people to show up and, like, you know, network. And I thought it was a fantastic, a really, really fantastic idea of doing so. Um, and I made, I made a lot, I met a lot of new people. And I honestly, I, I, I would do that again in a heartbeat. Mm-hmm. All right. So let me ask you, I mean, what did they discuss? Is there anything in general that so, they kind yeah. of discussed? Well, it was, so you would choose a destination. You would click, like, if you wanted to meet in theater one, theater two. Um, and basically it was, it was like different seminars. You know, mm-hmm. so you could choose whether going to a director seminar or, you know, you wanted to see, like, the screening. And so that's basically what you did. And you would go and you would take a seat. And it was really interesting. It, it's it's a little hard to describe. But for those of you who are into video gaming, um, it was like a virtual sim. Hmm. So... So basically, let me ask you a question. Did you kind of figure out anybody who the, who they probably were from this? Or yeah. Um, well, one of the actors, um, oh, gosh, he was in, oh, my God. It was, uh, oh, my God, I'm blanking out right now, but he was, uh, he was in a sitcom in the early 90s. Um, Richard, mm-hmm. you know, I for, I forgot the name honestly, but um, there was also the the main guy from the show called uh, Mr. Inglacius, which is on Netflix. Um, I actually got to talk to a uh, Sherry Belafonte for a bit. Um, super mm-hmm. nice lady. You know, it was just it yeah. was really, it was really fun. You know, we got to talk to people of all different industries, writers, actors, producers, you know, um, and I, like I said, I thought it was, it was really fun. It was, it was, it was really weird at first because I kept saying, oh my God, this is like The Sims and everyone just started laughing because they're just like, yeah, this is exactly like The Sims. So, um, but it was, it was fun. I, I, I think I, I would definitely join again. I would definitely do this type of event. I mean, like literally you could be in your pajamas you know, and network around the world. Like yeah. there were people from Chicago, from Illinois, from um, New York, Miami. I was in LA, um, and you know, I got to meet a lot of really, really cool people that I enjoyed talking to. Hmm. Yeah, okay. Well, that's interesting. Yeah. Now you also mentioned, like I said before, we you know, came on the air that you saw yourself there was a murder mystery. You wanted to talk oh about that there were some lessons. There were lessons that go beyond that. <laughs> okay, so um, for those who know me, know what a freak I am for investigation discovery. I have been an investigation discovery fan ten years, and you know, I started watching the show actually couple days ago I binged through like four seasons of it I had seen the show before um you know I had seen the show before and 
but I, but I you know, kind of, you know, how sometimes I like to go back and rewatch TV yeah. shows, you know. So yeah. I hadn't seen the show in a couple of years. The show aired like around 2015. So it's been a while since it's been on. It went, it ran for five seasons called A Crime to Remember. And it's such, my, my boyfriend who um, honestly hates my crime murder shows that I watch. So I kind of watch him by myself so he doesn't have to like sit through that, out by that. Mm-hmm. Even he is really into the show. So it's called A Crime to Remember. And there are five seasons. And it's a little different than your reenactment show. Like, you know how you have the reenactment shows, but, like, they don't show, like, everything. It's, it's just, like, little pieces here and there. Well, A Crime to Remember is, is kind of like that, but they show the full story. And it starts out with talking. You, you hear a person talk. And they're the neighbor, or they, they went to school with the person that was murdered. And there are some crazy cases. And by the way, the reason why it's called a crime to remember is because these are vintage crimes. Um, everything from a 1922 murder, which I will be talking about, which I find, well, this one is, like, fascinating, to the mm-hmm. 60s and 70s. You know, these are, like, vintage crimes, you know, crimes that were solved. Um, and you're not always going to get a happy ending with these shows. You know, I, I, one of the particular episodes I just finished watching, I, I was waiting. I was just waiting for the, for the, for the, the justice. And it turned out the justice never came. Um, yeah. I'll start with one of the episodes that I found really fascinating. Um, this is considered the very first airplane bombing an intentional airplane bombing, obviously um, in 1955 there was a plane that exploded and no one had seen that before. This is 1955. And I don't know if you know, remember this, Tom, I know you're not that old, but you know, there was a time where when you would travel, you could actually purchase life insurance. Did you know Hmm. about that? Yeah, I do not remember that. No, I do not. So, um, in a time like in the fifties or sixties, um, flying, you know, people like that would fly. It was kind of new, but um, they, at the airport, you could literally get a life insurance policy, you know, for the person that was traveling. Um, now, was this in, you know, was this in, Cal- yeah, was this in Colorado? I don't know. It might have been. Okay. Do you know this case? No, I, I'm looking it up right now. There's a case, 1955. A okay, that's it. Don't, 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 give it, don't give it away. Don't give it away because I'm going to okay, talk about right. yeah. <laughs> Don't give it away. So what happened was um, I, I 20-something people died, I believe. I don't know the exact number. Tom, you may have the exact number. But, um, yeah. you know, it, they, they, they obviously died. And they were trying to figure out. You know, at first they thought it was, like, mechanical, and then they realized, no, this is, like, a bomb. A bomb went off. And then it goes back to the story about this man and his mother. And his mother was a very domineering woman. She was very successful. And he wanted to get rid of her. So he said, you know, well, why don't you go on vacation? You know, I'll, I'll run things. You know, she had, she had a, a very popular 
kind of like a Dairy Queen's uh, restaurant in the South. And how they caught the guy, um, you can read his name. I, I totally forgot the guy's name. <laughs> But um, Grant, uh, it, it looks Grant. Like I think it is, yeah, Jack. Yes, it's John Gilbert Grant. John Gilbert Grant, that's correct. John Gilbert Grant. Yes, he had helped his mother pack, and while he was packing, she had a gift, and in that gift was the bomb, and it was set at a certain time, and you know, I mean, it was a really sad story. Um, they figured out it was him because he, he bought like all these really weird um, stuff to make the bomb. And that's how they, they caught him. But they don't know if his wife knew. I mean, because basically the mother was going to cut him off financially. She was just like, she was tired of his shit. And she was like, you know, you're not really helping. You suck at basically work. You're a horrible person. And so instead of just killing her, which would have been awful, he also decided to murder 20-something other innocent people. Um, So that's like one of the cases that they they talk about. Um, They also had this – they also have – there are so many great cases, honestly, that I was watching. But the one that really stood out was this one that took place I believe 1961. So these are like old kind of, oh, no, sorry, 1922. Now, this one was titled The Attic. Um, the Attic is actually a crazy story. It's crazy to yeah. me yeah. because yeah. it hold takes on place. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, hold, yeah. hold on. on that, I'll, I'll yeah. Hold on. This is Tom Donaldson, Coco Kosky here on the Donaldson Files on the Bachelor News Radio Network. And also, don't forget, you can listen to the show on the Bachelor News RadioNetwork.com. And if you want to go to our show, you basically go to com slash the-donaldson-files slash. Tune in to You and the Law with Chief Virgil Green and Chief Keith Humphrey. The show focuses on law enforcement and their relationship with the black community while letting you know your legal rights as a citizen when confronted by the police. Listen live every Tuesday night from 7 p.m. to 8 p.m. Eastern at blogtalkradio.com and the podcast every Monday through Sunday at 4 a.m. and 6 p.m. Eastern at thebachelornews.airtime.pro. Yeah, this is Donaldson Files. I'm Donaldson Coco Konski. Listen to the great shows on the Bachelor News Radio Network. And, and that's the Bachelor News Radio Network.com. And you can list all of your great shows. There's a new website. You know, go to it and uh, you get everything you want. And for example, you just click on the Donaldson Files and you can get some of our past episodes that you just want to listen to again and again and again because we all know that our shows are just that good and informative. Okay. All right, guys. Go ahead. You guys are going to. You guys are going to need to sit down for your seats because I'm about to tell you the best, I think, craziest love triangle murder mystery I have ever come across. Year is 1920, um, 1922. And so this involves Dolly Oysterike. 
And it's pretty sorted even for today's standards, I will say. Um, So Dolly was a housewife in the early 30s, married to the owner of a Milwaukee apron factory, Milwaukee, Fred Osterich. And he was very successful. You know, but I guess a woman has needs. Fred was either too busy or too drunk to even meet those standards. So on a warm autumn day in 1913, Dolly found that her sewing machine was not working. She had called her husband, you know, to send over a repairman. The young man that showed up to fix it was 17-year-old Otto Son Huber. Now, that is a name that you guys will remember. So she figured that Fred would send Otto over because she knew the teenager worked for Fred at his own factory. When Otto arrived, he was met by Dolly wearing only a robe and stocking. So scandalous for 1930. Um, And so began this bizarre affair that would last a decade. Well, you're probably asking me, well, why is that so weird? Well, it gets weirder. At first, Dolly and Otto, you know, had their relationship in the usual secretive manner in hotels, you know, to continue their sexual relationship. You know, but after a while, meeting outside at home became kind of annoying. And the two began having sex in her bed. Soon, you know, noisy neighbors and how they can be began asking about the man who been hanging around Dolly. And she had told him, oh, that's her uh, half-brother. Because <laughs> that's great. You know, after realizing they were drawing attention to themselves, Dolly decided that Otto should take up residence in her attic. In her attic. <laughs> the way he'd never be spotted coming or going. So he quit his job at her husband's factory having virtually no family, began to spend all his time in his little hideaway within the house. You know, this new arrangement meant that Otto couldn't ever leave the attic. He remained there and worked on writing Pulp Fiction stories that he hoped to have published. You know, at night he read mysteries. By day he made love to the wife, helped her keep house, and he even made Bastion. For five years, this carried on, this this really odd relationship. And she also took other lovers, by the way. He wasn't just the only one. So when Fred informed Dolly in 1918 that he thought they should sell the house and move to Los Angeles, it got a little complicated. Instead, Dolly found a house overlooking Sunset Boulevard with an attic and sent Otto there early. So he'd be waiting for her when she arrived. Are you with me so far, Tom? Yes, this is, yeah, yeah. This is a great story. (laughs) Life continued on, you know, in the exact same way it had been four years early until August 22nd, 1922. When Otto overheard Dolly and Fred fighting from his attic, he burst into the room where the husband, where they were quarreling, He was brandishing two pistols, and Fred had recognized him from the factory. He became really angry. The two men struggled, and a gun went off. Fred was shot, obviously. Otto and Dolly panicked. 
Otto locked Dolly in a closet from the outside, taking the key and the guns with him to the attic. He knew neighbors would report the gunshots, you know, and this way Dolly would have had an alibi. She couldn't have shot her own husband while locked away. Well, when the police arrived, Dolly indeed told them of a burglary where the robber shot Fred, took some expensive belongings, and then locked her in a closet before fleeing. The police were kind of suspicious about the story, but couldn't prove that it wasn't true, so they actually released her. Now Dolly is a widow. She moved into a new house and continued with her life. One would assume that she and Otto could eventually bring their relationship into the open, allowing Otto to have kind of a normal life. But instead, Dolly, when Dolly moved, her voluntary living sex slave took residence in the attic once again. Otto managed to get a few pulp stories published with, this, with the money. Um, Dolly actually purchased a typewriter to keep him writing. All while Dolly managed to get herself a new lover, a lawyer, Herman S. Shapiro. But like Dolly's first mm. husband, Shapiro spent long hours away due to his profession. And, you know, enter Roy Klom. If you guys are catching up with the story, she has now three lovers. <laughs> Roy Klom was another lover to keep Dolly occupied. Um, Dolly persuaded him. You know, she thought her use of Klum might have had helped her get rid of the guns used to shoot Fred, so she persuaded him to ditch a gun for her, saying it resembled the burglar's gun, and she didn't want to get in trouble. So he tossed it in the La Brea tar pits, which is hilarious because I am right near there. She then spying the other gun in his, burying the other gun in his yard. So when she broke up with this Klum guy a while later, he went to the police with the story. The gun was pulled from the tar pits, and Dolly was actually taken into custody. Her neighbor dug up the other gun and took it to the cops, but neither weapon could be tied to Dolly because the guns have corroded. And we're almost done here. But while oh. Dolly awaiting trial, she pleaded with Shapiro to buy groceries for her lover in the attic because she was in jail while this guy was literally in the attic still. Um. You know, Shapiro essentially told uh, Stan Huber to get lost and got Dolly released on bail. Uh, apparently, the fact that she had kept a man in the attic was not a deal breaker, as the lawyer promptly moved in with her and all charges against her were dropped. That is until seven years later, when things became ir- irreparable between La- Dolly and Shapiro, he moved out and told the police what he gathered of the crime against Fred, her first husband. Warrants were again issued for Dolly, and this time Stan Huber as well, her lover in the attic. A jury found him guilty of manslaughter, even after his defense that Dolly had enslaved him. The trial became known as the Batman, because since Stan Huber had been kept in secluded cave-like attics, nevertheless, the statute of limitations on manslaughter had run out, and he was a free man. She was actually put on trial um, a conspiracy charge, but she also walked free after a hung jury. The, she, after a hung jury, the indictment was eventually dropped in 36, and she died in 61 at age 80. And that is the story of the attic. I am sitting here amazed because she, first of all, number one, 
explain to me how a guy can live in an attic for years and the husband wouldn't figure this thing out. Over – well, it was a mansion. Let's be fair. It, it was a big house. Okay. But, but yes, you're right. And he was never allowed to leave. He was never allowed to leave. And the best part was – I mean, when I heard about this case, I was like, oh, my God. This is insanity. But it's a real case. It happened in the 30s. She got away with basically murder. Um, and so, so did he. So, um, yeah. again, this story was just it really caught my eye, and it was really kind of that kind of WTF yeah. story. Like, I can't believe that happened. I can't believe that actually happened. So this is indeed a true story. <laughs> Um, it's, it's been, it's been discussed many times, but I just thought that was a fun story to read because it's, yeah. it's pretty unbelievable. Yeah. No, it, it to me, cause I'm reading, like I say, cause I'm trying to keep up because, you know, I'm, you know, I find fascinating. Oh, the fan, okay. By the way, Shapiro, yeah. the Shapiro guy, the lawyer was actually her lawyer when, she was charged with her killing her first husband. So she mm. ended up marrying the lawyer and still keeping the boyfriend in the attic. Now, that's the boyfriend. What happens to him down the road? You know, they, 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 nobody knows. He, I, I believe he went back to his home, his home country in Germany or Austria. I think it was Austria, but nobody knows about him. What happened to him? Um, she did die at the age of 80. Um, back in 1961. Um, but yeah, that was uh, a very, very, very odd story. Mm-hmm. So basically, she married Sapero, the lawyer. Yes. Right. And then she had yet another lover. Now, did she put this other lover in the attic too? No. <laughs> that was the weird thing. Um, that was so weird um, about, about the whole scenario was that she kept having this guy, even though she had remarried, you know, even though she had mm-hmm. remarried, you know, but uh, I guess he is German. And actually, he died. It doesn't even say. It, it honestly, no, no one's ever heard from him again. I mean, he's obviously long dead. <laughs> but um, yeah. I mean, he died in '61 at the age of 80, um, yeah. and he was released because of uh, statue of limitation on manslaughter. So hmm. uh, this this was this this happened in 19 in the 20, in early 1920s. But she carried out this affair yeah. with him till like 36. Hmm. So, well, um, this, yeah. What, what, you say, what I'm trying to figure out. And, yeah. and, I mean, uh, and also, yeah. well, I, didn't, I didn't know about this real quick, real quick. There's a made for TV movie called The Man in the Attic with Neil Patrick Harris, and of course, on A Crime to Remember, season four on Investigation Discovery. Oh, let me ask the other question. Okay, so. He stays in the after the death. He stays in the attic. Yes. Even though she marries the lawyer. Now, yes. 
Maybe I missed. So does the lawyer know that this guy's still in the attic? He finds out. He finds out. And apparently that's not enough to, like, break up, you know, the marriage. It was the fact that he had to buy groceries for this guy that pissed him off. <laughs> that, that I mean, that was the thing. When she was held in prison for a couple of days, she was, worried, she was worried that he wasn't going to have enough to eat. So she taught her husband. She told the husband about the lover in the attic and that she needs for him to give him groceries. That's how he found out. <laughs> I mean, this case is just like, it's insane. It, yeah. it, 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 it's out there. It's out there. But it is a true story. Yeah, no, yeah, I, like, yeah, yeah, this is a totally insane story. Totally insane. Because I'm sitting here trying to figure out, it almost seems like, you know, in the case of the first husband, I mean, yeah, I know it's a mansion. But still, you know, you would have to, after, you know, a few years, he's able She's able to keep this guy hidden for years. Oh, I found out what happened to him. Um, oh, okay. He remained at large for eight years. He eventually moved to Canada, changing his name to Walter Klein and marrying another woman before returning to Los Angeles in 1930. After falling out with Dolly's mm-hmm. personal attorney and lover, Herman Shapiro. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I, I thought I'm I looking was at, I'm che- yeah, yes, and you know the thing is, I'm looking at her picture. And, right, you know, I, I don't I, mean. To... I literally get too. She and wasn't I guess the most attractive. Part... No, she really wasn't an overly attractive woman. Well, she was much older than him. Remember, she was 33 and he was 17. Yeah, so it was like a 16 years difference. Yes. So. So. Well, obviously, but, uh, literally, yeah, it's, it's hilarious. Well, this case is just insane. Yeah, yeah and you can just, actually, you guys can actually look online and you see pictures of the inside the attic. Well, let me ask you. Here's the thing. This is one of those stories you could not write. No, no. I mean, how many screen? I mean, how many Hollywood screenwriters come up with this story? I don't and this, and this is pretty. I mean, if this happened today, I think people would be shocked. Yeah. So you can imagine in the '30s. Yeah. You can imagine. And what I'm. Then. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, to me, the thing is, you know, I, can, I can, It's one of those stories where, quite frankly, I doubt anybody would even think of it to write no. a screenplay. I mean, this is one of those things no, where but... life itself is stranger than fiction because nobody. I can't think of anybody that would write up a story that like this. Nobody. And I'm getting the impression that Sapero didn't that that he was more. You're, you're saying he didn't really care. He did. You know, as he far did. as the on the, on the sexual side. Go out and buy groceries. His thing that he was yeah. pissed about was that he had to go out and buy groceries for the her lover in the attic for like the last twelve, thirteen years that he was there. Yeah. So remember, Which leads me to the other thing. If, yeah, now, of course, the thing is, if he didn't seem to mind, you know, making love with his wife, you know, you know, why does the guy stay in the attic to begin with at that point? Yeah, I, 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 mean, this, I don't know. This, also, she also had the other lover, Roy Klug, who basically ditched the gun for her. Yeah. 
So she has like well, a she audio of Yeah. Well, it sounds like I me. Mean, this is a woman who had power over the man she yeah. was with. Yeah. Because I first of all convince you somebody stay in an attic for years <laughs> just to have sex. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know. Then convince the and lawyer. I, I, and then convince the lawyer to live with you, get married to you, even though, and then he finds out later. And then you got this third guy. And, and I have to imagine that eventually they all found out about each other. I think, yeah. And they, yeah. they knew about each other at the end, but I don't think, like, I don't know. It's a very weird case. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, let's say next uh, Tuesday will be Ladies' Night. We'll give you more details. Uh, this is Tom Donaldson in the Donaldson Files with Coco Konsky saying good night. And good night, guys. Have a good, and have a good evening. You know, it's the Dr. Larry Show on the Bachelor News Radio Network. I'm Dr. Larry Fidewa, and I'm your host for the next hour. Tonight, uh, we, uh, I want to start with a, uh, a notice that uh, if, uh, if you call in, uh, if you want to be on the show or even listen to the show, uh, call 646-929-0138. And uh, talk to our screener, and uh, we will uh, be glad to take any questions that uh, that you might have or comments. So tonight, our topic is going to be, what in the hell is going on? Pardon us if we are a little confused regarding the current status of the 2020 election results. We have been saying all along that we are dedicated to following the rule of law. Now, however... We are watching all levels of the judiciary who personify the law in the USA rejecting what appears to many of us as highly suspicious behavior on the part of the vote counters, some without even hearing the evidence of the plaintiff. These rejections are north of 60 cases at all levels of the judiciary, from circuit courts to federal appellate courts, including the uh, Supreme Court's uh, rejection of injunction on the uh, Pennsylvania uh, certification uh, yesterday. So what is going on? And where are the chief law enforcement organizations, the Justice Department and the FBI, who should be leading the investigations into allegations of monumental crimes of election fraud. Instead of leading the search for truth, they are nowhere to be found. Attorney General William Barr, 
thought to be a nonpartisan pillar of integrity, ducks out of his responsibilities by saying his department could find no crimes which would change the outcome of the election, and this without, a, incite, without citing any such investigatory efforts. The only judge showing enough true grit to hold the state officials to their oath of office is Supreme Court Justice Samuel Alito, who is hot on the trail of the Pennsylvania mess. Of course, the end game of most of these lawsuits will be the actions of the Supreme Court as a whole when some of the current cases have traveled the gauntlet of judicial rejections in order to get standing for the high court to act. So here we are, days before the traditional certifications of the Electoral College are scheduled to begin, waiting to see what the Supreme Court will do. Will they accept the case or cases and issue a decision, as in the case of Gore v. Bush in 2001, Or will they also decline to exercise their duty? If they do accept the cases, what will their verdict be? The very vastness of the suspected corruption is a challenge which gives everyone pause. What is being alleged is a conspiracy which touches nearly every state in the Union. There is a pattern of ballot tampering which has eerie similarities in nearly every suspicious state, and that in turn strongly suggests central planning. The remedy may mean declaring the entire election null and void. Then what? Another election? Extension of the present terms while the new election is organized? For the first time in American history? Alternatively, the selective decertification of certain votes among the many, cast in person and by mail, who would enforce strict behavior of the recount and the responsibilities of the poll watchers. And there are other issues as well, particularly the widespread use of the Dominion software, which we're told has some 34 state users, which has been roundly criticized as an instrument of ballot tampering. A prohibition against use in an American election would cause an upheaval in the many states which have relied on this technology to operate their balloting. The other factor is, if the Supreme Court does accept one or more cases, how will they vote? Will the Chief Justice retain his posture of going with the wind, as he has in some notable previous cases? We'll have more to say about this later on. Or will he be guided by the the Constitution? And what will be the effect of the new justices on the rest of the court, if any? Yes, these are exciting times we live in, but also very confusing. So tonight uh, we have two guests, uh, commentators who are very well versed in this uh, sort of uh, dilemma, if if anybody can claim that. Uh, The first is uh, uh, think tank uh, president uh, George Landreth, 
And uh, our uh, colleague Tom Donaldson, uh, is, uh, who's also put on his uh, head as a pollster and commentator, and uh, the, these gentlemen are going to uh, discuss with me what uh, what is going on and what should we be doing. So, uh, gentlemen, uh, welcome to uh, the Dr. Larry Show. And, George, you want to start by uh, telling a little bit about uh, the Frontiers for Freedom? Sure. Well, first of all, it's just a real privilege to be here. Larry, I really appreciate the opportunity to be with you and Tom. Uh, always uh, I always find the conversation very uh, stimulating and enlightening. But uh, Frontiers of Freedom was founded as a uh, public policy think tank by U.S. Senator Malcolm Wallop. He was uh, a friend and ally of Ronald Reagan's, and uh, he uh, started Frontiers of Freedom when he retired from the U.S. Senate because he didn't want to stop uh, being involved in public policy and uh, I've been there really now I guess for over 20 years but bottom line is we focus on all the things you might expect somebody who is a fan of Ronald Reagan to do Um, we give out periodically a Ronald Reagan award at a major dinner or gala and um, you know so we're for peace through strength we're for smaller government we're for government that uh, abides by the rule of law um, you know, the idea that the Constitution says what it means and means what it says, those kinds of things. That's who we are. Well, welcome uh, welcome back to the show. Uh, Tom, uh, would you like to give uh, the audience a little bit of your non-Bachelor uh, News uh, background? <laughs> yeah. Right now, I am the chairman of America's PAC, and we are now running ads to save a the Republican Party in the state of Georgia. I also do, I'm the project director for America's Majority Foundation, um, and I've been responsible for overseeing as well, uh, 40, uh, 40 research projects and 35 of which I either authored or co-authored. I'm the author of eight great books, none of which are bestsellers, but they all should be, including the rise of national populism and democratic socialism. And now I'm beginning to... Uh, uh, right, you know, I'm getting my notes and everything together. I'm beginning the process of writing the sequel. I second uh, that motion. That book. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I almost feel like title when it's uh, "I Told You So." <laughs> <laughs> but that's already been taken by. Uh, yeah, but I think Rush Limbaugh named his second book that. Well, uh, we're going to take a, a brief break. Uh, you're listening to the Dr. Larry Show on the Bachelor News Radio Network. If you want real discussions on politics, social issues, racial issues, and other topics, then tune into the Bachelor News Radio Show. Listen live every Monday and Thursday from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Eastern at blogtalkradio.com. And if you miss the show, you can listen every Monday through Saturday at 8 a.m. and 3 p.m. Eastern and every Sunday at 5 a.m. and 3 p.m. at thebachelornews.airtime.pro. Listen and be informed. Welcome back to the Dr. Larry Show, which is also the home of Locker Talk with Barry Barnes, where you can hear about NFL stars of tomorrow today. Listen to Barry every Friday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time at blogtalkradio.com slash 
L.A. hyphen bachelor, and the podcast every day from 2 to 3 p.m. Uh, Eastern Time with back-to-back episodes on the bachelornews.airtime.pro. And if you're interested in having your own show or advertising with us, email at uh, labachelor40 at gmail.com. Listen and stay informed. So now, gentlemen, I am going to ask you the $64 question, and that is, uh, what did you think of the uh, of the uh, opening statement? And, uh, George, I guess you go first. Well, I agreed with you. I, I, I think there's um, you look at all of this and you kind of wonder, uh, early on what we heard was you got to prove, you know, where's the proof, where's the proof? And and at first I'm like, okay, well that's a fair point. You got to prove these things. You can't just allege them. But then as we started seeing the affidavits, the testimony, the uh, even hearings that were held in several states, and and then the the mainstream media continued to say, where's the proof? Where's the proof? And I'm thinking to myself, really? Are you guys not paying any attention? Um, you know, and I you know the question of course is is as, as we don't. I don't know yet, off the top of my head at least, how many votes it impacted, but it looks like it impacted hundreds of thousands of votes. Um, certainly enough to make a difference, but who knows? I mean, you know, but the point is the complete lack of interest. And I find it stunning because we just spent the last four years essentially investigating uh, the possibility that Russia had played a role in our elections. And um, and that there had been meddling in our elections and things that weren't, and yet there was no evidence at all of that. They except that I guess they did uh, spend maybe a hundred or one hundred fifty thousand dollars on some Facebook ads uh, for and behalf of both sides of the equation because they were looking to foment discord. And boy, did they get that for a small investment! But all of a sudden now, a complete disinterest yeah. in real potential uh, election meddling and, and election fraud. So I just I kind of. I'm in a state of stunned disbelief because, yeah. I, and I guess the problem is, is you should never underestimate the potential on the extreme left for hypocrisy and double standards. And that if I had, if I'd remembered that basic corollary or rule, or I, I probably wouldn't be so dismayed. But, but here I am. Tom, what's your comment? Well, basically, I am not surprised by all of this, uh, since I've seen it for like 40 years in political politics. I, I think to me, this is a crisis in this regard. Is I don't again, I'm like I don't know if like the state of Pennsylvania, state of Michigan, the fraud was again what I call what we in the political business call the MOF margin of fraud. Yeah, uh, the margin of fraud. But I do know this. The rules were changed, like in Pennsylvania, even in Georgia, where literally what the state legislator passed was ignored. In the case of, you know, and this is where John Roberts, if he had done his job before the election, had stated, hey, the state legislator has made this clear, this is the policy we're going to follow on balloting, that's it. You can't sit back and reinvent the wheel through the courts and essentially overturn what the state legislature rules are. I think we've been 
I'm not sure we'd not be in this, but we would be in a much better position because then you could have challenged, let's say, Michigan. You could have challenged, let's say, all of these votes that the counts that got stopped in the middle of the night and and so on down the line. And but I mean, it's a complete mess because we really will never truly know to what extent the fraud occurred and whether or not uh, what truly happened. But I will say this. If I'm a Republican, I am going to, if I'm a Republican, I'm going to say you better find out what happened clearly. And In fact, let me, let me tell you a story. I had a good old friend of mine just call me up about a week ago, and we got talking. And, and she said, we called this several years ago this was going to happen, you know, this kind of, you know, this stuff. And one of the things that I did in 2013 in the state of Illinois is I ran a project where we looked at voting patterns at various precincts. And we found some anomalies where we were finding, like in Chicago, there was like 10 zip codes where a thousand or more, you had a thousand or more voters than you actually had adult uh, citizens in those in precincts voting. I mean, that's, I mean, about, I mean register to vote. You know, I mean, let me repeat that. You had register for more people than, let's say, adults based on the census. And one of the candidates was smart enough. He spent a half a billion dollars where he basically paid poll workers to go to those sites to make sure they don't get cheated. And he won. And he became, you know, and, and this was Bruce Rauner, and he won his election as a Republican in the state of Illinois. But the point is, this happened on a multiple scale, and if you don't find out, it's going to happen again. Well, I'd like to pick up your comment on uh, on John Roberts. I, I I have a I have a feeling that he is really the key to this whole this whole this whole thing. Um, he is he. I think I can I can hear him almost uh, saying to the rest of the uh, court uh, regarding that uh, the uh, imposition of a, a sanction. Uh, a, a temporary injunction against uh, certification of the Pennsylvania vote. He, I can almost hear him say, "Listen, people, uh, we are a we are here to talk about the law, to uh, stay within the Constitution. There's nothing in the Constitution that says that we have the right or the responsibility to direct." Uh, the uh, re- the election uh, rules for the entire country. So I think that this is uh, essentially outside our jurisdiction, and therefore we ought not to even consider it. And I can I can uh, I can almost hear him saying that. And then you got these uh, these new justices who are kind of they're they're apparently uh, following the leader. And uh, the, the the real key the key question now it seems to me is that the uh, appeal of that particular uh, injunction stay uh, decision is now uh, pending. It was filed today, and uh, the entire court uh, will have to uh, or should anyway uh, decide. Uh, whether or not they are going to pick up the uh, substance of the uh, of the plaintiff, and there, uh, that that is when we are going to see whether 
these uh, three new um, justices uh, are going to join join uh, hands with Alito and uh, Thomas, and actually overrule the chief justice. Uh, that that's the way I see it. And if they decide that they are going to go along with him, that it is outside the jurisdiction of the uh, Supreme Court to be dictating uh, what the uh, remedy should be for this kind of uh, crime, uh, then uh, they are not going to get involved. And our last hope as American citizens of, uh, uh, of having the rule of law triumph over crime and fraud and uh, and uh, misappropriation of uh, authority uh, the last our last hope is the Supreme Court of the United States and and if they decide not to hear and not to even consider uh, the uh, vast amount of evidence that is now piling up in the in the front of all of the American public uh, through these uh, hearings that these uh, that the uh, Giuliani and his crowd have been uh, instigating, uh, then I think that uh, uh, George's uh, bewilderment and uh, and uh, my uh, disappointment uh, are are well earned, and and that I believe is that that is my. Uh, Analysis of what is going to happen, or at least what the what the uh, what the procedures would be, uh, and and frankly, if we don't have a rule of law, and if it is not going to be uh, enforced by the Supreme Court of the United States, then I don't think we have a rule of law, and I think that the open chaos. That uh, that Marx and his crowd uh, predicted back in the 19th century, I think that is in fact going to happen. And I, I just, uh, if you talk about if you're if you're a Republican, you you uh, want to have something uh, determined. Uh, I say if you're a Republican and there's nobody steps forward to enforce the law, then uh, the Republican Party is not going to ever win an election again. And in fact, it will go the way of the Whigs in 1856. So that is my dire forecast. Uh, and uh, whoever wants to comment on it, feel free. <laughs> well, what you're saying to me, uh, well, thank you for those cheery thoughts, Larry. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, it's, but, this yeah, is cheerful I, I, time, yeah, right? Yeah, but you know, here's the thing. I mean, to me, the real issue. I mean, the thing is to this is that what we are. I mean, first of all, number one, I, I find it fascinating. The very same people, including the president, you know, I guess the I hate to use the word president, like uh, the number potentially number forty-six, deemed Donald Trump as an illegitimate president for four years. In the case of Joe Biden. Uh, I mean, this is a guy who knew the Russian collusion hoax was a hoax because he was briefed on it. He knew it from day one. And for four years, did absolutely nothing to sit back and say, you know, you know hey, we should, you know, we should accept the fact Trump won. Let's move on. He never did that for four years. 
And now, you know, it's you know what I say, what goes around comes around, but it's a lot serious because you can't sit back in four years and say you're an illegitimate president and then sit back and say, but we're not going to investigate to make sure that this indeed is a fair election, that indeed they're a fraud, and that indeed we don't do something about it in the future. Uh, you know, it's like you're, you know, like I say, I don't have any empathy for Mr. Biden on this one. George? Um, well, I, I agree with that 100%. And um, I may have overstated my bewilderment. Um, I guess what I'm bewildered by is not that they've, you know, the left has gone the way it's gone, but that they do so without any sense of shame. It's, it's, it's amazing to me. I mean, I, I, I'm not capable of the sort of duplicity that they seem to just so freely exude. But, um, but I do think that one of the problems we have here is that the left has worked very, very hard, literally moments after uh, media started calling a couple of the key states, uh, was for everyone to quickly acknowledge who the president-elect was. And, of course, they wanted us to um, – and I think that's because they want to make it difficult for a court. I, I personally believe that they understood how tenuous uh, the actual claim to victory was. But they, and so they wanted to make it hard on someone like a John Roberts or others that are not uh, – don't have real stiff spines and don't have a lot of courage. These are people that are basically without courage. And um, make it really difficult for them to say, no, no, we've got to follow the law here, guys. We have a constitution. We've got to follow that, too. And, and, and make it so they would kind of like bite their fingernails and go, oh, I don't know. I don't think I can do this. And it doesn't take a lot to scare John Roberts off. And uh, so the question is, is, can they scare the others off? Um, I'm, I'm not convinced that they'll be able to. But I guess we'll find out in, in short order. But... You are right that uh, this is about a lot more than who is inaugurated on January 21st, 2021. Hold that thought. Uh, You're listening to the Dr. Larry Show on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Since Buffalo Wild Wings is always open late, here are a few things you'll enjoy. Buzzer beaters, wings in 21 signature sauces and seasonings, and great deals on food and beer. Grab select domestic draft beers starting at $4. $4 shareables like street tacos, fried pickles, chili queso dip, mozzarella sticks, and roasted garlic mushrooms, and deals on select liquor and house cocktails. Phew, that's a mouthful. Catch all of the late-night action. Buffalo Wild Wings. Wings, beer, sports. Offers and participation vary. Please drink responsibly. Void where prohibited. You're listening to the Dr. Larry Show on the Bachelor News Radio Network, and I'm going to take this uh, moment to plug our new website, uh, which is the bachelornewsradionetwork.com and it is a, uh, a, a a very big step forward for this network uh, we want to congratulate L.A. Bachelor for all the hard work that he's done to bring this about and one of the good points of the new of the new website is that we will now have access to the podcast of every um, show that is on the network, and uh, it will be there at uh, accessible to us at any time by uh, simply going to the uh, name of the uh, show that you're interested in and then reading the uh, 
date that uh, that is uh, on the uh, on the podcast and uh, turn it on, and you can listen at your leisure. And no more of having to get up in the middle of the night or uh, stopping uh, your lunch break to uh, to uh, try to get uh, the latest uh, Dr. Larry show, for instance. And uh, uh, so, uh, if you can. Uh, Call up the uh, www.thebachelornewsradionetwork.com and you'll see a, uh, a new look for the entire uh, website, uh, for the entire network. So, um, <clears throat> we're talking about uh, what is going on in terms of the uh, both the process of trying to establish a uh, 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 the rule of law over uh, very uh, dubious uh, and suspicious uh, uh, election uh, election actions on the part of many many uh, of the uh, states, uh, but also because of the uh, fundamental backbone, uh, digital backbone of the. Uh, election uh, process, uh, counting and uh, and summarizing and reporting, that uh, had been left to this Dominion software uh, company and to their software, which in fact uh, appears uh, to be very uh, uh, very suspicious, and not only in terms of its uh, activity, but also in terms of its ownership and its allegiance. Uh, there are things like uh, the talking of automatically uh, the software refers all of the uh, votes uh, en masse uh, uh, and exports them to Germany to be counted. Uh, and that, that, that the ballots then become the property of the uh, company and not of the people of the United States of America. So, I mean, these are serious, uh, serious charges. And uh, and that is uh, really uh, frightening. This, this, I mean, this is uh, George Orwell's 1984, uh, almost uh, uh, almost upon us. So anyway, um, I think that I think that we have to look now uh, and, and and see what what's the good news coming out of all this. <laughs> it's uh it's kind of a hard uh hard question because uh the the, the good news seems to be pretty far pretty uh, far between uh between announcements so after that long monologue anybody else want to talk <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, let me put it this way I, if there's good news if you want to look at the silver line there are three things that or there are a few things I want to look at. Number one, if you didn't know who your enemies were, you now know who they are. Uh, we now know what the left is capable of doing to you know, disdain the idea that this is a normal political opponent that, let's say, you, George, and I grew up with. When we grew up, we grew up with a group, a different group of Democrats. You know, I'm not saying they were perfect. There's no doubt. If you lived in Chicago, you know the dead rise that rose every election, and if you had been a Republican in your life, you became a Democrat after death. But 
there was an element of civility that existed that doesn't exist today. There wasn't what I call this politics of personal destruction, where everything is fair game and we're going to make sure you are destroyed. It's not we'll, we'll fight you on the battle of ideas. You will be destroyed. And I think this is the number one thing we see. The number two we see is that the Trump coalition is a pretty strong coalition that in the hands of the right people who understand the coalition, we can build a majority from urban centers, rural areas, suburbanites, across the fruited plains, from, uh, from, let's say, California, outside of New York and the West, and basically build a new coalition for the middle class. If nothing else, we are now the party of the middle class. That's, you know, if you, you know, if you learn anything, yeah, uh, but that's the, my view. The, the, the idea of uh, election uh, uh, engineering, re-engineering, or, or fraud, you know, that's not new. Uh, it was commonly no. thought, for example, that John Kennedy was elected by the dead people in uh, in the... Uh, in, in uh, the Chicago, uh, Illinois, uh, so that 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 is pretty. You know, I mean, that's yeah. been around for a long time. Well, no, I mean, like but, I say, I, I, as I say, I mean, I don't dispute that we've had voter fraud from you know, from throughout our history. That's nothing new. What here's what I'm going to say is this, and maybe this. Let me throw it back in this. So let me give you a story. And then I'll have, you know, and George, maybe you may want to comment on this because you and I and Larry, we've been involved in politics for several decades. So we've seen our political opponents evolve. But I can remember this. In 1988, I had this reporter. And this reporter, and, it, and it's interesting because I found out later the guy was a liberal Democrat. But, you know, one of the big stories was, you know, will. And I was running camp congressional campaign. We're trying to get the the uh, you know our opponents to debate us. He's way ahead in the polls. He feels no need to debate. So we make this into an issue. He does this show, like a special news report, and he invites this Democratic campaign manager and said, "Well, have you been contacted by the other campaign for a debate?" And he denied. Oh no, we never seen any contact. He said, "Well, other than and I love this line." So businessman out of Kansas, you know, because it was a Missouri election. I, you know, I lived across the border in Kansas. So it was like the derision, just some businessman trying to set this up, but nobody from the campaign. And so the reporter said, well, this is the that said, have you been contacted by Tom Donaldson? Wasn't that the businessman you're talking about? I said, oh, yeah, that sounds familiar. He said, well, Tom Donaldson is the campaign manager of, uh, of your opponent. So do you still stand by the statement you didn't get contacted by your opponent? And I, this guy had a look on his face that was like he got caught in the lie. Now, let me put it this way, Larry, George. Tell me one media outlet today that would have run a similar story that would have been beneficial to a Republican candidate. Just give me one. Yeah, but that you you were saying that you think that the biggest problem, I mean the the biggest new element, is the lack of civility. I would say that the biggest, the most important element that's new is the universality of it. 
I mean, if, if you, we 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 still had uh, Reagan, for example, in the second term, uh, won by a landslide. That was still possible because uh, even though there was corruption in various big cities, particularly uh, New York and Chicago and Los Angeles, especially, um, it, it was more or less isolated, and there was no national. Uh, direction for it, but what we have now, uh, particularly because of the use of this digital um, software, uh, we we have a uh, virtually uh, universal problem. I mean, everybody is marching to the same beat. Uh, all of the uh, the uh, there must be some, and we know that there is some uh, central uh, planning that's been done. Uh, for example, that the uh, Democrats have been putting together a, a very large cadre of, uh, uh, of uh, constitutional lawyers uh, way in advance of this of the election. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, yeah. Well, yeah. Let me clarify. I mean, when I say civility, I'm not talking about just you know being polite. I'm talking about a civility in which you recognize your opponent as an opponent. These yeah, people recognize me. At, as the enemy, and that's the difference. Yeah, you know, I can remember the '80s. You know, I could have my Democratic friends. We could have had a cup of coffee, we had beer. The election was over. You know, we moved on with our life. We didn't hate each other. We simply worked on the next election. This is totally different. You got the council culture. You've got powerful media outlets that will not. You know, they will if they aren't trying to destroy you. Won't report on you. Report news that's not beneficial to the opponents. You know, as we say, democratic opportunities are bylines. Uh, let me put it this way. If you're on YouTube, if tomorrow morning this show was on YouTube, it would be censored. It would not be allowed. Anything dealing with the election fraud would not be allowed. So that's what I mean. That's what I mean is that yeah, but it's not – it's, it's you, know you know what that's this, like. It's, you, you know what it's really most uh, mostly uh, uh, resembles is is uh, Russia in uh, 1916, just before the uh, revolution uh, broke out into armed camps of uh, people that uh, were fighting each other to uh, to for dominance in the in the new the new Russia, the Bolsheviks won. But they 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 won by by uh, by violence, and 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 that seems to be where we're headed, because yeah. just you know there are a lot of people that are not gonna they're not gonna we we're already seeing uh, 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 we're already yeah. seeing a tremendous amount of uh, resistance to the uh, the so-called new lockdown, uh, you know, and this, there's a lot of people that just won't take they they just won't accept. Uh, all of this uh, uh, domination of their lives by by government, it's going to it's going to come to uh, to uh, violence. I'm 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 afraid of it. It's yeah, like well, the French I'm Revolution. Gonna, yeah, well, and that's a, that's my point. That is the difference. I mean, I'm gonna put this one. That is the difference. Is the fact that the other side is willing to how far they're willing to go. You know, this was not the case 30 or 40 years ago. You know, this is the case today. Uh, what do you think, George? 
Yeah, George, you've been kind of quiet. <laughs> well, I'm just enjoying uh, listening. Uh, hopefully, uh, I hopefully the listeners are as well. No, but um, I think you make uh, some very good points. Um, one, of the, I would agree. There was a time when you could disagree on politics and remain friends. Growing up, uh, you know, you could vote for Walter Mondale or you could vote for. Uh, Ronald Reagan, and you didn't get this, you're an evil person, we can't be friends approach. And we've kind of gone there. I mean, uh, you know, an Antifa group made a list of uh, people that they considered worthy of of being attacked and put it up on a map in the D.C. area, and I'm on that list. And I'm not particularly uh, afraid of that, um, but I have to say that's a weird world to be in that because I run a think tank that's conservative and because I promote conservative ideas, that some, uh, you know, domestic terrorist group has decided to, you know, put my uh, name and location on a map and identify me as somebody that their followers should go after um, if they're feeling particularly angry that day. And um, it did, I don't, if you told me that was possible when I was, uh, you know, 20-something in college, I would have said, no, that's not here. That's not how we do things. But it is now. Thanks to the left, that's how we do things now. Well, you hold that thought. Hold, hold, camp, hold, that thought. hold that thought. Because I want to come back to that, but uh, you're listening to the Dr. Larry Show on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Greetings and great day, everyone. I am Elder Janelle Strickland, host of the Life Cafe Radio Broadcast. From Maximizing Life Family Worship Center, I invite you to tune in every Saturday from 5 to 6 p.m. Tune in, maximize your life with the Word of God, and be blessed. Only on the Bachelor News Radio Network. I remind you again uh, of the uh, new uh, website that we have. it's uh, thebachelornewsradionetwork.com. George, um, you now got me really worried about you. Um, so do you want to pick that up a little bit more? Well, no, I mean, I actually, I'll tell you, uh, this gives you an idea how bad it is because this is just one family. My mother was at a shopping center near uh, our home. She was, my mother is a great-grandmother. She's old enough to be a great-grandmother. And um, she was at a sign wave. Her and about a dozen other senior citizens got together uh, along a you know, thoroughfare and were waving their Trump signs. Um, all of a sudden, some guy comes storming over, uh, starts stomping on the signs, grabbing them out of their hands, and getting right up in their face, nose to nose, shouting, you know, F Trump, F Trump, and just acting very threatening. My mother um, is not easily uh, intimidated, so she, even though the guy was far larger than her and much younger, um, she said, excuse me, those are my signs, and I have every right to be here, and you, you do not have a right to behave this way. At that point, he punched her, knocking her to the ground. Really? And uh, dazed her. Yeah, dead serious. Uh, police were in a uh, nearby establishment and came running over. My mother was not uh, conscious at this point because she, she hit her head on the ground so hard, and uh, plus he punched her. And um, 
when she came, you know, kind of was aware of what was going on, the guy was in handcuffs in the back of the squad car. And, uh, and they were trying to help her to her feet and so forth and see if she was okay. Um, again, so this is one family. This isn't like, you know, this, someone from California and someone from Virginia taking two. This is one family. We both live in Virginia, the D.C. metropolitan area. And one member of the family is on a, uh, you know, domestic terrorist list of people who are uh, worthy of, um, you know, retribution. Because of, and another was a great-grandmother who got decked by a guy, you know, I would estimate, you know, apparently in his uh, late 20s, early 30s. This is a very weird world we live in. And yet if you listen to the media, they would act as if somehow it's the right that's uncivil. It's the right that's – sorry, I've never punched a little old lady at a, at a, fl- a flag you know, for any reason. But I particularly would not be punching a little old lady because uh, she was, uh, supported a candidate that I didn't. And yet that's where we've come. And I would argue that's what the left has done. Um, they have gotten to the point where um, the very people who argue there are no actual moral standards have decided that apparently disagreeing with them, however, is a moral transgression that makes you worthy of violence and the threat of violence. Oh, my God. That, that is a fr- really frightening story. Yeah. All is your, is your mother okay? One family. Um, she is. She has. Um, she injured her wrist because um, I, I think in an attempt to break her fall, she put her hands back, um, or maybe she just fell on it funny. Um, so she's got some uh, problems to her wrist. But aside from that, she's in good shape. Wow. Well, I guess we rest our case as far as uh, the proclivity of uh, some people to violence. Yeah. Well, every, yeah, let's kind of follow up, though, because if you look at the Antiva movement, I mean, look at this 2020, most of these riots, Antiva, you know, and their allies out there. And you, I mean, this is where the, you know, the violence is coming from. And the, here's the interesting thing. I'm going to throw this out to you, George. Both, you guys, you and Larry, you both brought up the French Revolution. You know, there was about a month ago, there was a big story. You know, militant group going to kidnap the governor of Michigan. And, of course, it was, you know, a bunch of right-wing neo-Nazi types, right? Only to find out that the guys, that their social media said, on their social media, these same people say, we hate Trump, we're anarchists, we're supporting Black Lives Matter, every left-wing cause, they were there. And it was like, and I thought to myself, you know, this is the French Revolution. You know, there's an element within the, the political left that's like the French Revolution, namely, either give us everything or else it's going to be your head on the guillotine. Because remember, the French Revolution, even the, the original revolutionaries ended up on the guillotine before Napoleon brought order. Right. right. Yeah. Right. Well, no, I, I think that's a that's a very good point, and I think it's apt. Um, we have. Um, it, I, I don't really understand how we got to this place because it happened so rapidly. But um, but I have noticed that when people get become filled with hate, they not only become irrational, they actually become stupid too. I've had friends that tell me, quote unquote, I hate Donald Trump. And then I hear these things that they have to say, and I'm embarrassed for them because these are educated people who are very successful in their careers, and yet – 
I, I hear them talk, and I think to myself, if I were grading you in a debate in a high school class, you would get an F for that. That's pathetic. That's not even a serious, rational thought. And yet they've somehow essentially lowered them. So it's very frustrating to me because um, I just don't understand how we got to this place. It, it doesn't make sense to me. We've always had disagreement. There's nothing wrong with disagreement. Disagreement is not a problem. If we're all thinking the same thing and agree on everything, that would strike me as worrisome almost because it's not the way human nature is. If you get a million people in the room, you'll probably have just short of a million different opinions. That's okay. The question is how do we resolve them? And historically in America, we did it by talking. We did it by essentially debating. Informally, not, not in a, a formal debate setting like on TV or anything, but sharing ideas, seeing where we found common ground, and going, oh, yeah, I see what you mean there. I, I, I can buy part of that, but this is my concern with that part. You know? and, then, and you slowly work to where you have a, a, a solution that people kind of go, yeah, that makes sense. You can have a consensus. We're past that now. We're to the point now where if you don't agree with them, you're evil. I'm going to have to punch you and knock you down, and I don't care if you're in your late 70s too bad. You're just a bad person, and this is the right outcome. Or in the case of you know me, you know, I'm going to put your name on a list, and I'm going to put it, and, and locate you on a map, and tell everyone how they can get to there, so they can take care of you and, and you know meet out to you the violence that I think you deserve. That's just hatred. Not only makes you uh, more apt to violence, it actually may, it lowers your IQ. It makes you stupid. Well, I guess that's why they want to get rid of the police, huh? Well, yeah. I, I so, think that is exactly. why, because I think threats of violence are far more daunting if you believe that uh, when they show up to do harm to you, they won't show up at all, that you're just left to your own devices. So I do think that people, um, if you're an anarchist, like those guys in Michigan, I had the exact same experience. Everyone told me, oh, look, see, Trump's fomenting all of Trump, Trump, Trump. And that's what, of course, the, the, the uh, Gretchen... Um, Oh, Governor Gretchen, what's her name? I forget now. Um, Whitmore. Yeah, Governor, um, the witness one. I, always, I like to call her the witness one, but her name is Whitmore. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, but uh, she, she blamed Trump and said it was him. And, I'm, and then, you, like you said, you look at the social media. These guys were big-time lefties. They were so far left that they even hated their own Democratic governor, um, who was pretty far left. I mean, she's about as far left as you can get, I thought, but apparently not enough for them. But, um, but that's the – just to me, we now live in a world where it's a fact-free world. You don't need to prove that these guys um, listen to Donald Trump, like Donald Trump or anything. You just can assert it, you know. Oh, this is, this is his fault. This is his fault. I mean, today you have uh, Representative Swalwell uh, telling us that the real story we should be worried about is that apparently he thinks that Donald Trump has outed his uh, Chinese problem. But, but you shouldn't be aware of the fact that he was dating uh, a Chinese spy, that a Chinese spy helped fundraise for his first congressional campaign and got him you know, in the race, helped staff his office. None of that should bother you. What should bother you is that he says Donald Trump, and of course, Donald Trump didn't release this information. If Donald Trump had that information and wanted it released, it probably would have been better to release it, say, about the time the impeachment hearings were being held. 
then now is not a strategic time to do that. But, but that's the point. You don't have to have facts. You just make a statement, and everybody who hates the man that you make the statement on goes, oh, it must be true. And, and we don't worry about the guy that's uh, you know, got this Chinese spy problem. It's all okay because a bad orange man is the one who said something about this. He shouldn't have done that. So it's, just, it's a fact-free world where you can believe any fool thing you want as long as, you know, the Washington Post and the, and the New York Times and the various news networks are on your side. And, and that's where we've come. It's, it's a scary proposition because our founders believed, for example, that the, the debate was important. That's why we have the First Amendment. They also believed that the media was important because that would facilitate an informed electorate. And so the First Amendment, and now what do we have? We have a media that doesn't do its job, and we have uh, essentially um, a world in which debate is not only uh, frowned upon, but it's often viewed as hate speech. In other words, you expressing your view on a political issue, we're going to dismiss it as hate speech. So it's, I, I think we're in a pretty deep hole, and we've got to figure out how to get, get out of this. Because if we don't, I fear we revert to the way things were before we had elections and uh, uh, this concept of we can, it's okay to disagree. But, and you know how that worked out. That was back when uh, yeah. you would amass swords and weapons, and the side that had the most impressive army got to decide what the outcome of whatever the, you know, the political discourse was. I, I'd, I'd kind of like to make sure we have elections and debates and conversations, but not where we're headed at the current trajectory. Well, so what, is, what, what do we have to look forward to in the United States of America? I mean, if, if, what you, if what you're saying is, in fact, if that is all true, then, you know, we might as well move to Canada. Yeah, well, well um, I, I, I... Go ahead. No, go ahead, George. Well, I, I, I'm always, I am an eternal optimist, so I tend to believe that we can fix these things because um, oh. I believe, well, um, I think, you know, shows like yours are helpful. Shows like Tom's are helpful. I'm hoping a show, a show like mine is helpful where we have thoughtful debate and, and discussion and we point out these things. I have friends on the other side who, when they hear these things, are appalled by them and say this can't continue. But um, the question is, are there enough of them? And we've got to recruit those people, not as, a, not as political allies. We need to be willing to let them continue to be political adversaries. But they need to be allies in this belief that we need to have a more civil society and that it's okay to disagree and, um, and stand up to the, these forces that are essentially trying to make it a crime to disagree with them. Yeah, but if... if if what you if you what you said before is in fact the reality then uh you and me and tom uh we're not going to be on the we're not going to be free to do this very long they're going to come after us oh that's true um I, I I'm not saying that we're not in a dangerous spot I'm just saying I do believe there are enough people in America of goodwill that if we actively and, and proactively um, try to recruit them, again, we don't have to recruit them to agree with us on the issues. We have to recruit them to agree with us 
that we need to have a civil society and that the answer can't be canceling people, violence, threats of violence, etc. And I think there's enough of us that when that's brought to their attention, they'll side with us. Um, they may not side with us on what the right tax policy should be. We, you know, we may disagree about that. That's fine. But um, I'm, I'm just saying we've got to work on this, this question first. There has to be some understanding that it's okay for people in a civil society to not all agree. And it doesn't make them evil. It doesn't make them hateful. It doesn't make them bad. Tom? Well, I, I think, I mean, I, I guess what it comes down to is, a bit, I, I, I don't know if it's a case where people have to suffer the consequences before they rebel. Uh, it may be, you know, we had this discussion on the, you know, my previous show where, on the, you know, you know when, when people start saying, you know what, enough is enough under COVID. Enough is enough. It's not enough to sit back and say, I mean, let's face it. If you're going to tell me, take a vaccine, wear a mask, but we're going to still not return your life to normal. I'm going to say, well, what is it going to take, you know, before you know we can open up our business and get back our life? And someplace, somewhere, you know, you're going to just see that resistance that says we're going to open our business. But it's not going to be easy because there was a very interesting story where I I, I caught this for a a individual. A doctor said, you know, I'm not wearing a mask in my office. I don't always wear a mask in my office. And they took his medical license away. Uh, you look at the story of uh, Angela Markson, uh, the young lady who lost her business only to find out that NBC were allowed to conduct their own business with an outdoor dining for their staff and workers across the street from her. And I don't, and I, and it's a good question to say: Is there a point where people say enough is enough is enough? Uh, and I don't know that you know how that's going to play out. But eventually, there's a point where a point of no return where we can no longer do this, and it also means in effect that you're going to have to challenge those in power to say you've stepped over the line. And you stepped over the line. And maybe if enough people say you stepped over that line, because the one interesting thing about Southern California is the number of sheriffs and law enforcement who are saying, we're not going to enforce this crap. And once you start seeing that happen, when you got people saying, we're not going to enforce this crap, that, you know, then maybe the table will start turning. And I think you're starting to see a little bit of that. You know, I, you know, when I saw law enforcement in California where a group of sheriff's counties were saying, you know what, we're not enforcing this. You know, maybe that's, you know, it's, you know, that's the rebellion that needs to happen. Well, it, it, you, you can't rebel very effectively uh, if, if uh, you're being shut down, you know, with... Uh, uh, invasion of uh, the jackboot, uh, like happened to uh, uh, General. Uh, I mean, uh, yeah, General Flynn. You know, he show that they show up at uh, through four o'clock in the morning with a, a SWAT team. To, all they had to do was call him and ask him to come into the come into the the, the, the uh, store. And uh, but I mean. It, it, 
this this is this is going to be this is this is serious stuff. Well, we're almost at the end of our of our period here. We got about one minute left to go. Um, so, what's our thought for tomorrow, uh, Tom? Well, for tomorrow, I'm going to say the uh, ladies and gentlemen, the Dr. Larry Show is now the home of the new resistance for freedom and liberty. <laughs> You're in. Welcome to the home of the resistance. Maybe you need to do a new, uh, redo your show and just say, start every day after your horn. Welcome to the resistance. <laughs> George, uh, you've got about 30 seconds. <laughs> well, I, I think that's a, a good point. My guess is uh, if uh, if Larry's the home, then uh, then uh, perhaps Tom and I can be the, uh, the home away from home of the resistance because I do think that it, it's, it's important that we stand up. I think one of the, maybe we've almost almost been too um, reticent to say what what's what. But when the other side lies, rather than saying we disagree, we probably have to call them out. And I just think we have to kind of understand what's at risk here, and uh, and and always fight with fact and and reason and civility. But if someone's lying, it's okay to point out they're lying. Well, you've been listening to the Dr. Larry Show, and we're wishing. Uh our audience, uh, good night, and God bless America. Dr. Larry signing off.
better than that. I'm sorry about that.
for a year-end sales event. Get up to 60% off at your local.